Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway, where you'll learn the keys to building a profitable speaking business from speaking industry pros. Each week, we interview a great guest who will share his or her speaking journey, identify what their keys to success have been, and highlight some critical mistakes they've made along the way that you'll want to avoid. Be sure to visit our website at spotlightonspeaking.com. And while you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now, sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet this week's guest. And good morning, afternoon, or evening, everyone, wherever you may be. I am Brett Ridgway, and welcome again to another episode of a Spotlight on Speaking. And my guest today is a gentleman that I've probably known for almost 25 years coming on now. But since 1990, 1993, my guest Alex Mondozian has generated almost $417 in sales and profits for his marketing students, clients, and strategic alliance partners in six continents. He shared the stage with notable and diverse leaders such as Sir Richard Branson, Harvey McKay, Marianne Williamson, Tony Robbins, Robert Kiyosaki, Susie Orman, Mikhail Gorbachev, the Dalai Lama, and two U.S. presidents. I've only met one U.S. president, so you're ahead of me there, man. So his lifetime goal with best-selling author Jack Canfield is to influence training one million people to express their unique genius and train others to discover their purpose in life. Welcome to the Spotlight on Speaking Stage, Alex Mondozian. Thank you, Brett. You're the only Brett I know with one T, so let's get rolling. I wish my mom listened to that intro. She still thinks I do something illegal because of what the speaking business has done for me, but I'm happy to share all of that transparently. So, I mean, we've known each other, as I said, for almost 25 years, and you're one of those people, Alex, I specifically remember exactly where we met and when we met, and sometimes that's difficult, but it was in 1999 at Carl Gilletti's first internet marketing super conference at the old Las Vegas Hilton there in Vegas. And I was running the back of the room sales table for Carl and had a, a marketing bookstore there. I think Alex probably bought every marketing book on the table. And he's been a, a master student of the marketing craft and all that. But that was just the kind of the start of where we got together. And Alex at that point in time was more a student than anything else, although he's still a student these days. But now he's, you know, as he said, graced the stage of many of the biggest events in the world. And he's one of the foremost authorities in the whole Internet marketing space. And I'm really interested to find out how our conversation goes today in terms of learning a little bit more about your speaking journey and why you decided to get into it, where you came from to get to that point in time, and have you share some of your tips for success along the way. So, I mean, I know about your, your uh, what was it called? Smile, what was the name of it again? Super, Super Smile. Super Smile. I was in, living in uh, Manhattan, and I was working on Madison Avenue. And uh, my partner was a dentist, Dr. Erwin Smigel, no longer living. His wife was my boss, Lucia. And I ran the American Society for Dental Aesthetics. I, I didn't run his office, but I did do marketing for his office. But then this product called Super Smile Whitening Toothpaste, which is still around, supersmile.com. Uh, that's really where I cut my teeth. 
into marketing and sales and ultimately how I got into the speaking business. I don't know why you wouldn't forget where we met, Brett, because I spent over 800 bucks with you. <laughs> I think I was I was the top buyer of that group. Um, I was there as a student. I had been online with email, no website, but with email and consulting, not knowing what I'm doing since uh, 1995, which is before Google. I'm a BG digital marketer, <laughs> which, which means, you know, before Google, like BC before Christ, Google is God with a small G online. I don't really always believe in their political views and the way they've um, silenced free speech. So I do have some disappointments with them and Facebook and Twitter. Um, but what I do respect is the cat, cat, um, uh, the, the, the catalytic rise and the meteoric rise of all the digital marketing companies and, and what has happened. Um, I was not a dot-com person. I was for the entrepreneur. My first partner was someone who hired me for copywriting, and that's Armin Morn, whom you know. You were part of our first mastermind in digital marketing. He had the big seminars. I did nine of them with him. We were partners, and um, we brought audio online for the first time. We brought video on the, uh, online before, before YouTube mm-hmm. in 2004. And then the first generation of click funnels, lead pages, and uh, things like that, that was called marketing makeover generator with, with a third partner. His name is Rick Raditz. And so I'm very blessed to have been one of the dinosaurs of digital marketing. I'm still around. Many of us are not. Corey Rudel, who's no longer living, he was at that event and he bought me dinner. And, um, you know, I was not, um, celebrity struck by any of them because I knew other folks in other industries. But what did I do before speaking? I was in the infomercial marketing business. And with infomercials, you spend $60,000, $70,000 just for one 28-minute, 30-second spot. Mm. And it's for people who are insomniacs on Sundays and Saturdays mostly. And back then, um, Guthy Ranker and uh, other companies were around that you wouldn't even recognize now. And it was the days of Kevin Harrington, whom I've known since 1992. Wow. Because, because of the National Infomercial, uh, um, Infomercial Marketing Association, which was called NEMA. They had to have one because they were doing stuff that was illegal, right? So Kevin was in charge of that. So I've known him like 30 years. But yeah, you and I know each other about 25 years. And uh as long as I'm breathing, Brett, I will call you my friend. I appreciate that so much. So what was the impetus, Alex, to move from just being a face in the crowd, a student, so to speak, to wanting to get up on the stage? And how did you decide what niche or niches you wanted to tackle? Well, I knew I was a teacher. Um, my mother's a teacher. My dad's a teacher. Grandparents on both sides were teachers. I didn't want to teach students. I wanted to teach other teachers. And so I knew my niche would be presentation whether it's with the written word, the spoken word, which is professional speaking, and um, also with the visual word, which is which is video. And so um, I believe the niche I chose was the only niche that people didn't have. So my first product online was called Marketing with Postcards. And it was a three-ring binder, full color, which, you know, colleagues, Dan Kennedy and Ted Nicholas and other people, some living, some not, said, don't bother with that. Just make it black and white, double-spaced. People don't care about optics. Well, I thought that they did. I thought they did. And so because um, I thought they did, when Corey Rudel and other people you may not even know were charging $20 for eBooks and having to sell like dozens just to make money, 
I was selling marketing with postcards and it was $247. So how many $20 goes into 247? A bunch, a bunch, you know, 11, 12, right? So I had to be one twelfth as good as Corey and the rest of them. And I was one twelfth as good, maybe one tenth. Uh, But I got mocked. I was criticized, but yet that led me to the headline, um, how to make five figures getting less than 50 unique visitors a day to your website. And then that turned into conversion secrets. And then it turned into teleseminar secrets, mm-hmm. then stick strategy secrets, then hiring secrets and every, any secrets, you know, we'll do. And I have a lot of those. And so <laughs> um, I, I stand on shoulders of other people, you know, from the past, but I think, what I knew is if I went after postcards, which were web pages by mail, right, then no one had that. Uh, Jay Abraham had consulting. Uh, Dan Kennedy had copywriting. Ted Nicholas had space ads. Uh, Gary Halpert had his newsletter and get him getting hired as a copywriter. So um, a lot of um, niches were, were dominated by other people, but no one cared about postcards. So that was my first niche. And then Eventually, making presentations virtually, since I had two young children, both of whom you've met, um, I wanted to teleseminars. And so I think teleseminars is really where I cut my teeth because when people can't see you, there was no Facebook back then or nothing like that, right? But when, when people can't see you, you have to speak in pictures. And so I still speak in pictures and metaphors. For example, uh, imagine that I'm wearing a hat called the Dragon 100, which is a mastermind of uh, one of my partners, um, in fact, my most important partner, Dan Locke, uh, he has a YouTube channel that gets millions of views. Uh, my W-E-T, W-I-T uh, shirt, polo shirt, that's whatever it takes. My license plate says do wit, W-I-T. And people don't know what it means, but it's do whatever it takes. Okay. That's like all in commitment. So when I'm speaking to you that way, I'm wearing glasses, my watch that I love. I'm a watch guy, even though my iPhone keeps better time. And then I'm wearing my Carpe Vitae bracelet. And this thing costs maybe 50 cents to manufacture, but only people who pay $30,000 or more to me get these. And Carpe Vitae is different than Carpe Diem. It means seize your life, Vitae, versus seize the day. You have 30,000 days, 40,000, depending on how old you live, maybe 50,000 if you're fortunate, but Carpe Vitae is you have one of those, depending on what you believe in afterwards. So... Uh, I, I think that's what really impacted me to be a professional speaker because I found no better way in a certain time frame to have more impact and influence on other people. And I managed to keep the people who don't like me apart from the people who are still undecided. I don't know what camp you fall in, Brett, but uh, that's a really good strategy to be a professional speaker. So obviously you've spoken all around the world, Alex. Do you consider yourself to be strictly a platform seller or do you also keynote and or do you do a combination of the both? Um, I did my first keynote after 27 years with a buddy of mine, um, Michael Stevenson, who runs uh, uh, some NLP associations. And one of the best teachers and speakers I have ever seen with his wife, Kayla. And um, he's, he's a dear friend. We belong to similar masterminds. And he paid me for um, for speaking. So that was my first and only fee-paid gig. Like, I've been offered fee-paid gigs, but I can't make nearly enough money. Right. So I'm a platform speaker. 
So I prefer to go on stage for five days, three days, an hour and a half, and generate a quarter million dollars on a good day. Uh, nearly a million. I've never did it over a million. There were only 110 people in the room. 830,000 was pretty damn good. 2011. Very damn good. <laughs> yeah. But that's my best. I mean, Russell Brunson and others. Uh, by the way, Russell was a student in 2006. Vishen Lakani was a student in 2005. Um, the marketing with postcards. Guess who bought that and called me for two consultations was Ryan Dice. Huh. And, and so... You know, I've I've had the annoying opportunity to find people who are smarter than me and and mentor them, and they've they've surpassed me. You know, so I want them to be bigger and better, but it's annoying when it actually happens. So, so in my case, um, I found that platform selling is much more fruitful, and that way I can engage with them afterwards because they're uh, consuming a training that I've given them. So along the way, what do you think, Alex, your maybe your two or three biggest keys to success to building a successful speaking career have been? Okay. Listening right now, watching right now, maybe even reading this podcast episode. What would you say is the ideal listener or viewer? A newbie to the speaking industry or a veteran? Well, I mean, primarily also an aspiring speaker, but a veteran is going to pick up some damn stuff. They better be applying to their business. I, no, no, no. I get that. I get that. And I know why you gave me that answer, but I, 80% would be aspiring, correct? Well, sure. Okay. And they don't have to be new to business, just aspiring speaker. And right. then um, based on that, and I'm, the reason I'm asking a question is relevant to the answer to your question. Um, and that is, is, are they mostly fee paid or platform selling? <laughs> I would expect that most of them would be platform sellers eventually. Right. Okay, great. So now here's the first thing I do is know my audience. So that's tip number one. So now that I assume you know what you're talking about, it's your damn podcast, right? So I'm going to say, if you've never sold from stage before, nothing is the loneliest vocation but that. Nothing even comes close when you want them to run to the back of the room or fill out the order form and they don't do it. Right. There's no greater rejection in life. And uh, when I was going through a divorce in 2012, I was in front of 10,500 people. I was supposed to make $1.5 million for my host, Richard Tan, who's a good friend of mine at Success Resources. And I would have. I would have. I'm, I'm usually one of the top three sellers and usually the top seller because of my style. Um, and I sold seven people. Because I was a mess, you know, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, yeah. um, intellectually, <laughs> even physically, I was a complete mess. So I gave a great presentation, but it didn't sell. Nobody moved. And my heart dropped. And it was just like, you know, my best friend died. And I apologized to Richard. I said, I just cost you a million bucks. You don't have to ever invite me back again. And he said, your lesson just cost me a million bucks. If you don't come back again, I'll, t- I'll send a hitman after you. <laughs> right. So that was a very uh, touching response. Of course, I wept like a baby in my hotel room. Uh, and so if platform selling is what you want to do and you're new to it, then know that, number one, it is the loneliest job on earth when people don't move. It's the most satisfying and gratifying job on earth when people do move and buy from you. That's number one. Number two, 
is if you're going to be a platform selling speaker, this is what I did. I always started with the offer. I always start with the end in mind. Stephen Covey was a mentor of mine. Begin with the end of mind is one of the seven habits of highly effective people. He was, he was a Brigham Young professor. He was really a nobody. And then he came on the scene with one of the top selling business books in the world. And then, of course, his son, Stephen M. R. Covey, helped put a deal together with Franklin, the, the day planner company. And they went from $3 million a year to you know, $300 million a year. It was an amazing story out of Utah. But begin with the end of mind means always have the offer first, then design the speech. So begin with that end. When you go into an Uber or Lyft or any app uh, car, car service, you always put in the destination. Supposedly, the satellite knows where you're at on the app, but you always put in the destination. And if you don't put in a destination, that Uber driver or Lyft driver can't take you anywhere. So do the same thing with your talks. That, that's number two. Those are That's the second tip. And the third, the third tip is design your content with the context they understand. The context is always decisive. So, for example, if I said, hey, look, my content is about pushing a woman into the way of a charging bus. And it's also about pushing a woman out of the way of a charging bus. And the name of my speech is pushing a little old woman around. Well, that context is different, right? If you're pushing into the way of a bus, that's called murder. Out of the way means that you're saving her life. But if context weren't there, it would just be pushing a woman around. An old woman, in this case, I wanted to make it dramatic. So when you're delivering your content, don't look at the value they're going to receive. Look at the context that they understand it through stories and through metaphor and through analogies. I'll give you an example. When you're on stage, you got to be all in. And the only way to get your audience to be all in is to tell stories and give analogies. So I'll give you the, the village wine story. So about 1,500 years ago, somewhere in Italy, there were 200 vintners. Those are winemakers in a village. And it was a Christian village. So there was a church in the middle of the square, like many old cities these days. And the priest said, listen, next week we're going to have one barrel I want you to bring your best glass of red wine. You're some of the best vintners in the world, as far as we know. And I want you to put that glass in the barrel so that we, have, we can have the best wine ever next Sunday and celebrate the holiday. So these 200 go home and one of the wives, always throw them under the bus. One of the wives said, honey, we bust our butts in Italian for this wine. Who's going to notice if you put a glass of water in the barrel when no one's looking. No one's going to know that. We'll take it in a bag and then we'll just dump it in there. One part to 199 parts wine, no one's going to know the difference. And that way we don't waste even a single drop of all our hard work because we don't always have a great season and some seasons are non-existent. He said, I don't know, honey, that sounds a little dodgy, but okay, sounds good to me. So next Sunday, the priest is so proud there's liquid in the barrel. He dips in, his, uh, he dips in his glass, pulls out pure water because everyone had the same idea. So it's all in with your speaking skill that matters yeah. because if there's one sliver of doubt, if there's one crack in the dam, 
you've ever seen a dam explode, you get just one crack because water finds those cracks, right? If you ever had water issues at your home, then you know. <laughs> the, the, the water people at homes are like the anesthesiologist, you know, in the hospitals. They think that they're the badasses, right? Because they come in and they go, man, you need my help right now, right? So um, I found that you got to be all in regardless of the result. So number one is for platform selling, just understand that it is lonely when people don't move and it's gratifying when people do move. Number two, start with the end in mind with your offer because you're offering something. It could even be going to an assessment or an appointment. It doesn't have to be to buy something, but know what that is so that your whole talk can be structured with that. And finally, don't let it all be about content. Use context through analogies and metaphors like I just did with Village Wine. So that's my answer. Well, that's such great advice, Alex. And I want to ask you a couple more questions. But before we do that, let's take a quick break. Are you a business owner or entrepreneur who's had great success in the business world? And now you want to launch a speaking career to share your message with the world. If that's you, then listen up. 25-year speaking industry veteran Brett Ridgway has released his latest special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. To pick up your copy, go to brettridgeway.com forward slash freebie. And we are back with my guest Alex Mendozian on the Spotlight on Speaking show. And what I want to ask you now is, Alex, you've been you've done hundreds and hundreds of speeches or whatever, so... Bear your soul here a little bit and share some stupid shit you did along the way, or maybe you've seen another speaker do along the way that you would definitely advise an aspiring speaker to avoid at all costs. Well, well, I've seen other speakers do it, and it's stupid shit, uh, but I have no right to talk about that um, because I've done plenty of stupid shit to make <laughs> up for it. So stupid shit number one, what to avoid, right? Do not get lazy on knowing your audience. It's a corollary from what we just talked about. You cannot sell Kobe beef burgers for 40 bucks each by mail order, let's say like Omaha, Omaha Steaks, if you're selling to vegans, vegetarians, or macrobiotic diet people. Mm-hmm. So what you need to do when you're preparing for your talks is don't look at your topic. Look at who the audience is going to be and then match your message with the market. So start with the market that you're speaking to. Don't ask them what's the topic. That's probably what you would do. And if, you, if you've done that, great. But that's the stupidest thing you can do. Say, who's my audience? Like I asked Brett, right? Even if we're guessing wrong, at least I'm consistent to get a referral, right? There's wisdom in what I just said. Um, the second thing that's stupid shit, number one is, Asking what's my topic versus what's my audience. Um, The other thing is being convinced that a suit and tie is formal and therefore I must deliver my talk in a suit and tie. I have never done a platform selling talk with a suit and tie other than three times at a Mark Victor Hansen event because I was told I had to because I was the master of ceremonies. So... That's a fucking stupid thing if you only wear a tie because the more formal you are, the more closed you are. 
Mm-hmm. Think about it. You got the tie. You got the shirt. You got the jacket. You can't move your arms. Okay. I'm usually in a, in a shirt where I'm running around. I do about 30,000 steps on stage if I'm teaching for full days. 30,000 just on stage. Okay. So that's some stupid shit if you only wear formal because you're much more widespread in what your brand could be. Don't let them only see you as formal, even if you think you're a formal guy. If you're on LinkedIn, you don't have to always be formal. You'll stand out if you're not, right? Remember, coat and tie, people are more suspicious because you got something to hide. That's my own personal projection and opinion. So stupid shit number two is don't just wear formal clothes. (laughs) Mix, Mix it up, okay? Stupid shit number three is going too long. Now, I don't do this, but I remember I was at a big event and a friend of mine who I will Un, I will not name, was, <laughs> was there with a lot of people who were very big names. Shaquille O'Neal, uh, Bill Cosby <laughs> was there. Uh, the late Larry King was there, who called me the, um, the Larry King of web television. And before that, he called me the Larry King of teleseminars. And why did he call me that? Because I asked him to. <laughs> um, <laughs> so There's a lesson there, too. There is a lesson. There is a lesson. Once you get to know them, then ask. But... Um, The worst thing at this event is someone going 30 minutes longer than he was assigned because he wasn't selling. And he stole 30 minutes of my time. And people were leaving after he finished because if you take 30 minutes at the end of the day, you're screwed, which is a word for something else that I want to say, right? So going overtime is stealing from the next speaker It's not like I never spoke to him again. He's a friend of mine, but he knew better. And I was so seethingly and irreparably upset because he knows so much better that I didn't do a quid pro quo. I, I ended up, you know, speaking for an hour instead of an hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, Did I sell well? No. Um, Why? Maybe the audience was tired. Maybe it was the wrong audience for what I was selling, but bottom line is, don't go over because your your fellow speakers will never invite you to their events. Yep. And that's a stupid thing to do. Number four, yep. not asking to come back before you leave. That's the stupidest move I've ever seen as far as your revenue and your income is concerned. If you've made a great impact, then say, I'd really like to come back. Is there an opportunity we can do maybe a podcast or next year or other platform opportunities with that person, okay, where you can just deliver content and not, and not do it for a fee. I would do it for a fee if I physically went there, unless it's a very dear friend. With you, Brett, I'd make you pay for the plane travel. <laughs> I I'd make you I make you pay for coach. I'd upgrade to first class, and then I'd make I'd make you pay for lodging. But I wouldn't I wouldn't make you pay for you know a speaking fee because it, it would be. I don't want to charge you five grand. I want to charge you 30 because I think I deserve it. And I would also do teleseminars. In this case, it would be webinars beforehand and then also after. So it's really a stupid move if you don't ask to come back after you've had a great debut. And then the final thing, one of the best and the fastest ways is to interview your speaking idols, the people that you admire and respect. Now, I wouldn't say I'm Brett's idol, but he knows that content worthy of devotion is all I offer. He's never he's never seen me steal from anybody. Nope. And he's always seen me connect dots in different ways. 
I mean, he knows that. I don't think I'm putting words or thoughts in his mind and words in his mouth. I, he knows that. And he's interviewing me now. First time ever. Maybe, no, maybe the second time. Maybe the second time. And so you want to do more of that because you can learn more about someone in an hour by interviewing them than you can in just meeting with them, you know, for 10 minutes physically or an hour, even at a three-day event. So I recommend um, don't be stupid and just make it about your talks. Start interviewing other speakers in your area of expertise, even if you think they're competitors, and then ascend to their level of excellence. And those are the five. Well, such great advice, Alex. And and I so appreciate you laying it out there for people and, and not holding back because I didn't know how long we'd go to today. And, you know, if you share two or three things, that would be wonderful. But you went above and beyond what you always do. So thank you so much for that. So before we wrap up here, I want to ask if, if people want to know about more about what you're doing and how they get involved in your world, where should they go? Well, because uh, marketingonline.com is for sale now, and I have a few targets for that because I have no more need of keeping that. Um, uh, and I think it's a great domain. Uh, don't go there because I have nothing to sell at this po- point of time. I'm now an investor. I'm on, I'm on boards um, of certain companies and I do fractional CMO work. Uh, so the best place is just to learn more about how to speak and the story selling formula. And if you hate to sell, this is the podcast for you. So we're on a podcast. What's the best thing to offer you is another podcast. If I'm at an event, a physical event, best thing to offer is another physical event. Cause I know with absolute certainty, there's a hundred percent consumption there. If I'm talking to people who write and buy books and read them, then I'm going to sell them a book. But selling a book at a physical event, not so good. Selling a book at a podcast, not so good, because you don't know with absolute certainty if they're readers. But I know that you listen to podcasts. So on your own time, go to allsellingaside.com, allsellingaside.com. There's not even an opt-in there. Why, Alex? Because I can't afford new clients. I have enterprise fractional CMO clients. So I've gone you know, way high ticket and... Believe me, it's given me more time with my kids <laughs> and more free time than managing a, a database that I've managed since uh, 1995. So allsellingaside.com and listen to that podcast. It's just me. There are no interviews there. I did that deliberately, and it's my legacy. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Alex. This has been another episode of the Spotlight on Speaking show, where weekly we'll bring a guest a fantastic guest like Alex to the program to share some of their secret sauces with you to success as a speaker. If you haven't had a chance, go to spotlightonspeaking.com and register there so you can be informed of upcoming episodes. And also, if you haven't had a chance yet, hop on over to brentridgeway.com and pick up your copy of my free special report, Three Key Things Entrepreneurs Must Master to Build a Profitable Speaking Business. But again, this is Ben Spotlight on Speaking. Everybody have a great afternoon, evening, or morning. And as always, my best wishes to you for success in all that you do. Take care. This has been the Spotlight on Speaking Show with Brett Ridgway. Be sure to join us every week as we interview speaking industry pros and have them share their best tips for building a profitable speaking business. Until next week, thank you for tuning in. And remember to visit our website at SpotlightOnSpeaking.com so you can enjoy even more great episodes like this one. While you're here, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time.
on the Spotlight on Speaking show. Until then, our sincere best wishes to you for the greatest of success as you work to build your own profitable speaking business.